Well, you know, business acumen, Andy, to me, just simply put, it's understanding how an organization works, how all the parts fit together, and as problems or opportunities arise, how do you gather relevant information, decipher that information, and drive decisions to lead change so that the organization can deliver different outcomes. Welcome to episode number 64 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today we have Torrance Ford joining us as the second guest in our mini-series on the importance of building the skill of business acumen in both individuals and in teams. Torrance is Vice President of Talent Management at Shaw Industries, one of the largest carpeting and flooring manufacturers in the world. Thanks for sharing your insights uh, and talents with us today, Torrance. Thank you so much, Andy. I'm excited to be here and look forward to the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. We we spent a little time together uh, at the conference board, and I I really in, uh, valued our time there and uh, and the insights that you shared with our with our small group. So I'm I'm really excited for this conversation. Uh, before we get started, I always ask this question. Uh, it would be great if you told our listeners your story. Well, thanks, Andy. And I, uh, I have a small, medium, and large version of the story and because uh, <laughs> it has shaped me in such a, an amazing way. So I, I get excited to uh, kind of share because I'm a, a, a human resources leader and uh I'm a mechanical engineer by degree. And when I share that with people, they're like, okay, please explain. In college, my major in mechanical engineering uh, was at the University of Alabama. And uh, I'm a college kid and I needed money. And I landed a job at the local road and bridge department, Tuscaloosa County Public Works. And uh, this was back before the internet was the internet. And the, uh, the department was getting computers and technology and software, uh, and everyone was new to it. And so the kind of natural reaction of the organization was, give it to the college kid, let him figure it out. So I found myself as a mechanical engineer having to set up computers, set up networks, install software, solve problems, getting into a little programming and uh, and found it. I had a passion for it, uh, an interest in it, and had thoughts of maybe sh switching majors and going into computer science or something like that. Fortunately, Shaw Industries hired me as a process systems engineer, and the job was just as I described: uh, someone with engineering uh, that didn't have a fear of engineering in a plant environment but also someone who could support the technology systems that were on the plant floor um, that ran our products. And I found myself, as someone who grew up as a Star Trek fan, I found myself feeling like I was Scotty in engineering, you know, taking care yes. of keeping the enterprise flying. And I absolutely loved it. What this led to, uh, Andy, was um, that department was growing. Shaw was investing in information technology and in automation, the internet was becoming the internet. And I found myself learning and growing and taking on new responsibilities. And I got my first opportunity to become a leader of people, a manager. 
And I started out with just a couple direct reports. It went from two to five to 10 to 15 to 20. And at some point along that growth curve, I figured out I needed to learn how to lead people. Uh, I went from being the smartest or best software developer to having people who were smarter than me and better than me when it came to building and supporting technology. And the real need there was around leadership. However, in 2018, my phone rang and it was uh, one of the recruiters at Shaw and they said, hey, Torrance, uh, there's a job that I think you should consider and it's in human resources and it's leading talent management. And it kind of struck me because I never saw myself as a human resources professional, but this recruiter explained to me that all the things that you do, You lead the diversity council, you build strategy, you're learning, you help us go on campus and recruit talent. All the things that you're passionate about are part of talent management at Shaw. Uh, Outside of technology and managing and leading technology solutions, this job really aligns well with you. And I pushed back and he just asked me to read the job description, talk to friends and family, and call him back the next day and let him know what I learned from, you know, the job description and friends and family. And sure enough, I talked to about a dozen people and unanimously the feedback was, yes, Torrance, that is you. I think you should at least give it a try. And I went into the uh, interview process with an open mind saying, hey, I think I'm going to get some experience here and maybe discover a pathway that I could take in the future in my career. I was blessed to have the opportunity to have the job offered to me in June of 2018. And here I am four and almost four and a half years later, uh, coming to you as the vice president of talent management at Shaw. That is wonderful. You know, I, I knew we had a connection. We're both introverts. We, we both like uh, Star Trek. Uh, we, we're, we're both accidental managers of, uh, of a sort, you know, kind of fell into management and, uh, learned, uh, leadership, leadership on the job. So I, I just love it. Uh, if there is one event in that arc that you just described that just put rocket boosters behind you, uh, in your career, what, what would that event be? Okay, Andy, I'm going to cheat here. You said one, so I'm going to double that and give you two, but I'll be quick. Uh, The (laughs) first one uh, is outside of the arc of that event, and it's actually when I was in high school, and it's how I became interested in engineering. I was taking high school drafting. This is before AutoCAD, and my drafting teacher saw that I had potential, and he came up to me one day, handed me an application for a summer youth minority engineering program at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he encouraged me to consider it. And uh, I wanted to stay that summer and practice for football so I could be a superstar on the football field. Uh, He helped me calibrate uh, what my future opportunities would be. And I found myself on a Greyhound bus headed to Madison, Wisconsin, the summer after my junior year in high school. And that is where I got introduced to college, to engineering, and discovered my my passion for, hey, I can do something uh, more with with my life force to, to help myself and help my family. So that was a 
pivotal moment because if I had not have gone to that program, I'm not sure that college and engineering and this pathway would have ever started the way that it started. Yeah. The second one is on my professional arc, and it was uh, early in my management career, as I shared earlier, uh, as my direct report group was growing and I found myself in need of learning how to lead people. I got the opportunity to attend the leadership development program at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that experience was amazing. And it really revealed to me uh, insight uh, around leadership and potential and just how to be a lifelong learner and to always look to grow and develop. And that program really just, as you said, put rocket boosters on uh, my my passion and my confidence to be able to do more things in my career and completely life changing for me. Yeah, those are those are great stories. You know, it's a combination of you having uh, those mentors and guides that are you know pointing you in the right direction, which I've had, uh, and you know we all need that. We and we all need it, and we all need to give that back. And then you've invested in yourself, uh, which is uh, which is just an awesome thing. And you know, a lot of people don't make that connection, and they don't really uh, invest uh, heavily in themselves. And I, I congratulate you uh, for uh, both of those accelerant stories. Uh, let, let's dive into the topic at hand, which is business acumen. I think you are just the perfect. Uh, individual to talk uh, to about this. When you hear the phrase business acumen, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, business acumen, Andy, to me, just simply put, it's understanding how an organization works, how all the parts fit together. And as problems or opportunities arise, how do you gather relevant information, decipher that information, and drive decisions to lead change so that the organization can deliver different outcomes. So it really is about that understanding and that ability to navigate through a lot of variables uh, to get to a place where you can change outcomes. Yeah, that, what what a what a wonderful uh, definition. Uh, earlier this morning, we recorded uh, another one of the uh, episodes in this mini series. Uh, Ed Clark, who will follow you uh, in the in the string, okay. and, and he had he had a wonderful uh, definition. So I I uh, it, it just dawned on me we're going to take all these definitions and put them together uh, for uh, for you know for the world to see uh, the. Uh, what what business acumen means from the different perspectives. Now, you as a leader and influencer in the talent management space, uh, you, you've got a front row seat to the concept of work readiness or the lack thereof of both secondary uh, school graduates and higher education graduates. In your assessment, as we dial the clock back to kind of the beginning of educational uh, journeys, in your assessment, what needs to change in primary and secondary education to improve business literacy, which is the precursor to business acumen? Yeah, I I love this question. It made me reflect back on as my daughter was growing up and going through school and, and what really resonated and worked for her, where I saw those lights go off. And I think when you go all the way back to primary school, 
you you got to have parent and community involvement. And it's important to establish early in uh, a child's life that learning is, is fun. And uh, that can be difficult. Uh, but the earlier and the sooner you can get someone in that mindset, it really clears the pathway uh, to get those fundamentals that you can build upon uh, from a learning standpoint. And, you know, I realize there's a, a lot of societal challenges with that. And the community piece is an important part to have involvement so that you really can help uh, families overcome some of those forces that work against our kids at, at an early age. When I think about uh, secondary education, um, the parent kind of gets a little bit pushed to the side. I remember when my daughter was going through that phase and it was it was hard to even uh, breach the school past, you know, dropping the kids off. And that only gets right. worse as they get older. Uh, yep. So I think when it gets to that point is strong partnerships between businesses and schools are, are key drivers there. Uh, workforce development for companies uh, are key, is a key program. And I'll talk about Shaw a little bit here from a workforce development standpoint, uh, having programs like FIRST Robotics, uh, offering part-time employment opportunities for high school students, having summer camps. Uh, we do a summer DEM camp for students. Uh, and then there's absolutely wonderful programs out there like Junior Achievement that really takes and invests in students in a way to put them in situations where they have to think about how things work and uh, it can help them discover where their passions are and really open up their minds to the art of the possible when it comes to business and uh, where they see themselves going. Yeah, I, I love your primary school uh, message, which is, you know, hey, let's let's help make learning fun and approachable, uh, especially at the family level. I think far too many parents uh, remember their education as drudgery and then project that uh, onto, onto their children that, oh, you just got to get through this instead of the embracing uh, the, the, all, the, all the possibilities. So I really, really appreciated uh, that, that perspective. With me being a, a, a Trekkie and a technologist, I tried really hard to turn my daughter into a computer scientist. And for about 10 years there, I had it figured out. And at some point, it became clear she was less interested in that path. Uh, but for a while there, it was fun. Yeah. And uh, But as kids change, as their interests change, you have to find out what's fun for them and uh, and then invest in them in that way. Yeah, I, I, I bet she has just wonderful memories, though, of, of that time. Um, let, let's move on to post-secondary school and run uh, yeah. a, a little thought experiment. Uh, imagine that you have a technical college or a university chancellor right in front of you right now. What advice do you give to them to set their grads up for success in the workplace as it relates to business acumen? Well, and I can speak to some traditional ways and, and then maybe some non-traditional ways, but from a traditional standpoint, there is a lot of great programs like uh, cooperative education programs and internships uh, design projects that can be done in partnership with, with industries. And, and these are fantastic ways to get real-world experiences 
and exposure to job skills that are, are needed to be successful beyond school. Um, I feel is important for young men and women to get that exposure as early in career or, or their educations as possible. And uh, those experiences give context uh, to really help uh, better understand how what you're learning applies. And I, I think back to uh, when I was at UW-Madison, one of the best things for me to really discover that passion for engineering was the time that we got outside of the classroom to go into factories and to go into businesses and talk to engineers and understand what their careers were and the jobs were. And I saw things that really just opened up my mind to, it's like, wow, uh, I see myself doing that one day. And that gives a lot of fuel to help propel you through uh, an engineering program or challenging assignments or that tough class that you have a hard time getting through because you can kind of see uh, what the end game is. When I think about our company uh, and some of the experiences that I've seen from uh, co-ops and interns uh, as a software engineering manager is just having a healthy pipeline of constantly introducing students to industry and training them. And uh, as we were going through that growth boom at Shaw when it came to automation and, and technology, um, I remember having so many co-ops and interns, students from college, that it, it kind of had a hospital residency feel to it. It was constantly people with experience and tenure investing in those that were newer to the workforce and really teaching them um, how the organization operated and how they can grow the skills and the capability to be part of the organization. Uh, so just creating a sense of pouring into others from those who have knowledge and have experiences to uh, create that community growth. I think from a non-traditional standpoint, I, I think uh, having a mindset of business incubators and accelerators is um, creating an environment that gives real life experiences and to give students ownership. And it makes me think of one of my friends and fraternity brothers in, in college where he he started an investment club. He started a real live business with real money and yeah. real problems and real partners. And uh, and it really helped him grow skills that propelled him into a successful business career. And uh, the more that the community and colleges can create those opportunities, uh, the more people can explore and discover what it is that drives their passion and be more prepared when they enter into the workforce. Yeah, I, I just like to point out to our listeners uh, how exceptional uh, the experience is that you're describing of being able to see directly uh, the world of work and 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 get involved and experience. Uh, you know, we call it experiential uh, learning. Uh, that uh, there, you know, if if you if you go through the population and you ask a uh, hundred people whether they've had the kind of experience uh, that you were able to have at uh, the University of Wisconsin Madison, a lot of them. Would, uh, would would say that uh, those kinds of experiences were not available uh, to, to them. So that you know this is this is a wake up call. This conversation is for uh, for for our our 
our, our workforce development community uh, to, if we think we're experiential now, we've got to get even more experiential uh, in, in the future. So thank, oh, thank you. For absolutely. That. I mean, those, and, and that was a long time ago when I got the opportunity to do that, but I still can remember the feeling and the passion and the inspiration that that created for me. And it really helped shape me from a diversity and inclusion standpoint to have the opportunity to do something that would have been tough for me to do with on, on my own steam. Uh, I really appreciate a university and a high school teacher uh, investing in students in that way uh, to, to create that exposure and that opportunity. Yeah, it's unfortunately still the exception and not the norm. Uh, we're going to take a really quick break for a very short uh, commercial about my book, Balancing Act, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back. You know, Torrance, uh, we talk a lot on this show about alternative paths into the workplace, uh, skills, skills-based hiring, the reskilling revolution. Uh, and so business acumen, much like emotional intelligence, relies on a portfolio of sub-skills. If you had to pick two sub-skills that are absolutely essential for improving business acumen, what would they be? I love this question, Annie, uh, and it really made me think really hard uh, about these. And maybe I'm <laughs> cheating here a little bit with my sub skills, but the first one I'm going to choose is empathy. Um, the ability to understand and share the feelings of others is how empathy is is defined. And as I described business acumen earlier, is you got to seek out information, you got to listen, you got to understand, you got to put yourself in the shoes of others. Uh, and whether that's the customer or business leaders or investors or partners. And having that empathy really does feed into the ability to gather information and process information so that you can uh, exercise business acumen. The second sub-skill I'm going to choose is, is critical thinking. And uh, the ability to deeply about information that comes your way uh, is a critical building block. Uh, businesses are so complex and for leaders to be able to navigate the, the complex array of information and bring it to a point of clarity uh, because the world is constantly changing. Therefore, businesses are co constantly changing. And so having that ability to connect all of those dots and all those moving parts uh, to ultimately uh, have business acumen to drive the organization to a, a, a an outcome, a desired outcome, it's a very challenging thing to do. So being able to think deeply and critically uh, also, I think, contributes to being uh, better equipped to, to have business acumen. Yeah, those are two fantastic skills at the top of the list of uh, future-facing skills uh, for our human workforce. Uh, my next questions are real softball uh, for, for you, but what advice do you have for business leaders to build business acumen in, in their teams? Where specifically do you start? 
So I'll go with the the ABL, always be learning. And I think leaders have to have that mindset uh, for not only themselves, but for the people that they they lead. And uh, you think about the 70-20-10 model. And uh, so experiential, as you spoke about earlier, is is key uh, to really developing that capability. But I do not want to uh, take for granted the 10% of learning. Uh, and I, uh, to me, the 10% is equivalent to having a car that won't crank. Uh, you got all the goods that you need to go from point A to P, A to B. But if the car won't start, you, you can't get there. Uh, so um, I think as an example, some of the, the things that my company does is uh, we have a talent enablement group. And that group does an explore series, which they will find business leaders who uh, have expertise and knowledge and that they are willing to share with the organization. And now, thanks to all the great uh, virtual technology, we can be even more inclusive with a broad group of leaders across the organization to, to learn something that they otherwise would not have the opportunity to learn. And that always be learning mindset is one at which individuals and leaders and organizations have to be willing to take the time to allow someone to invest an hour or two in something that's not tactical and it's not directly tied to what they're trying to accomplish in the moment. And um, that really uh, creates an environment where there's more awareness about the broader organization and all the different parts and subparts of it and how they fit together. It opens up uh, the mind to opportunities that you may not have known about. Uh, it creates, you know, maybe an opportunity for stretch assignments and doing things that might pull you in a different direction. And ultimately, you know, as careers progress, much like I talked about my career pathway, job opportunities and maybe career changes or working in a different way can all be opened up because you have that always be learning uh, mindset. And that, and I issue a warning here for leaders is it's easy on a case-by-case -case basis to say, hey, the talent enablement group has this program. It's two hours long. We're going to skip it for the sake of what's uh, um, priority right now. Collectively, that mindset leads to you skipping things for not only days, weeks, months, years, and you find yourself in a position where you, you don't have the muscle to be able to learn. Because I think that key skill there is the ability to learn so that you can adapt and do things different uh, because the world is changing and uh, it's changing fast. And, and so we want leaders to keep that muscle uh, strong and healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I that uh, short-term mindset as it relates to learning and growth. Uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, hey, we've got to get this stuff done right now. Uh, so we're not going to do that uh, learning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for putting that front and center for managers. And I'm being very specific with the use of the word manager vis-a-vis -vis leader. Uh, to to recognize that you've got to make the time and space, make the time and space for learning. So thank thank you for that.
Um, Torrance, we're going to run uh, another really quick thought experiment. Uh, suppose you've got an individual contributor or a line or middle manager sitting right in front of you right now, uh, who's traditionally had the blinders on and is questioning why they should invest the energy to learn more about how the entire business functions. How do you coach them to make that investment of themselves? I would use myself as an example and my company as an example of, uh, as you introduced Shaw, uh, Shaw is a, a flooring company. If you go back a little ways in history, Shaw would have been introduced as a carpet company. Uh, if you go even further back, we might have been introduced as a low-cost manufacturer of carpet. And you look over my history at Shaw, uh, Shaw has transformed from being that uh low-cost residential manufacturing uh, producer of carpet to being a, a global flooring solutions provider that's hard surfaces and soft surfaces and sundries and, uh, and all kinds of services and uh, ability to, to loan money uh, to businesses for flooring. Uh, so the organization is continuing to change. And much like I, I spoke of a second ago, if if you're not careful when you're inside of an organization and you're uh, denying yourself or preventing others from the opportunity to, to learn, uh, it's really the, the world's going to change so fast that it will be impossible for you to, to, to stay pace with it. Um, I, I'll use an example here. Um, something I'm doing in, in December is for the third year, I'll be running in uh, St. Jude in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, where they're raising money to cure childhood cancer. And uh, I don't like running, but I love the purpose. <laughs> and uh, and when I'm training for this, I often think of, you know, what if, what if I just showed up in Memphis in December to run a 10K? You, you just can't do it. I can't do it. Maybe some people can. Uh, you have to train yourself, develop your body, build a discipline, build a muscle, so that you can sustain what you know you're going to face in the future. And when I see leaders who are not willing to invest in others in a way to develop them over time, I know we'll find ourselves in a situation one day where somebody just won't be able to cope with all the change that's going to hit them uh, because there are products and there are businesses that were part of Shaw, the facility that I got hired into, it, it's closed. We don't, make those type of products anymore that we made uh, in that facility. So the world will change and uh, learning and investing in others learning is a huge part of just what you have to do to, to compete in the world today. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. Um, so I wouldn't, I would be remiss to not take advantage of your position as vice president of talent management to not check in to see what's happening uh, on the supply and demand uh, uh, curves uh, for talent across our economy. As we all know, the pandemic significantly altered the shape of the demand and supply curves for talent and frankly, the demand and supply curves for everything uh, what do you think the new normal will look like in the marketplace for talent? Oh, thank you for this question. And when I moved into this role in 2018 and I was learning more about the space, uh, 
if you if you narrow your Google search to you know twenty eighteen uh, to January of twenty twenty, you'll probably get a lot of hits around the talent war and how intense the talent war was during that period of time. We thought it was a talent war and we thought it was intense. Right now, we're really feeling it when it comes to talent. And just some quick numbers uh, that uh, I, I, I want to update or share on is unemployment rate still is at 3.5%. It's been hanging around 3.5, 3.6 for a while now. The labor force participation rate, 62.3%. Uh, before the pandemic, it was at 63.4. It got as low as 60.2, but 62 is kind of where labor force participation is at. Yeah. When you look at the working age population, uh, it's uh, people 15 to 64 years old. It's around 208 million people. To answer your question about the, the labor market, Here's the killer. There's 10.7 million open jobs and there's 5.8 million job seekers. So there's a lot of jobs out there that need to be filled and there's nowhere near enough people uh, to fill those jobs. So what I would say is from the new normal standpoints, at this point, some people would say, well, Andy, we just got to learn how to do more with less. Um, and that's not my stance. Um, I feel that mindset is really what's led us to overworking ourselves and uh, ultimately leads to disengagement in organizations, which we know is at an all-time high just across the board. Yep. To me, the new normal is about making choices. It's about being clear on what the priorities are and deciding what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And I would say from a skill standpoint, the new normal would be about automation. Uh, it'll be about creating solutions that are self-sustaining, things that can run without you or finding how to do things in a less manual way or position others to serve themselves. Uh, our technology today is fantastic and it enables us to do a lot of great things and learning is key to uh, how to take advantage of those things. But we definitely have to find a way to be more efficient uh, to take care of uh, all the things that are out there before us today. And part of it is making those choices and establishing priorities, deciding what to do and what not to do. Yes, clarity. <laughs> uh, yes, cl Absolutely. clarity. <laughs> clarity, clarity, clarity. Well, uh, Torrance, uh, we're going to wrap things up now. I would like to uh, just thank you. Thank you for your time and contributions today. Uh, I, I had a blast. Uh, I, I love listening uh, to you talk, and I, I know that, uh, that our listeners will feel the same way. Uh, so, uh, so, again, thank you for, for your contributions. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a blast talking to you. And thank you for all that you're doing to really drive awareness, knowledge, and, and change in, in this space. It's amazing what you're doing, and I appreciate it. Well, I'm at your service. So uh, this is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major podcast services as well as uh, on YouTube. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, share, all that fun stuff, especially this episode, because what Torrance had to share was so impactful, you might even want to listen to it twice. 
Thank you so much. Have a great day.